This is the How to Share podcast, where we help you find your story, write your story, and share that story with the world. With loads of experience marketing, hotels, restaurants, and influencers, your host, Amy Dreheim, will help you craft stories worth sharing. Stories that do more than sell a room or destination, they inspire. Here's your host, marketing expert, author, and travel blogger, Amy Dreheim. This is the How to Share podcast, episode 43. Five people sent me the screenshot, so I guess it's official. The CDC has announced that fully vaccinated people can engage in outdoor activities without a mask, including exercise, small outdoor activities with other vaxxed people, and dining outdoors with multiple households. It's the equivalent of that moment when I was probably five and my parents pulled off my training wheels and I went flying down the street like a wrecking ball. So I'm curious to see how this all plays out. Do I crash? Am I okay? I'm hoping for the best. But as hotel people and as travel people, we need travel to open up. We've been waiting for the CDC to sort of swing this way, right? To tell us what we can do instead of what we can't when it comes to being outside and socializing. So there are many more updates from around the world, and I have a special guest joining me today to talk through what's ahead as we get back on the road again and into the friendly skies. Katherine Parker Magyar is a New York City-based freelance culture and travel writer. Her work has appeared in Forbes, Architectural Digest, The Daily Beast, and Business Insider. She's traveled to 63 countries and all 50 states. Katherine earned her master's degree with honors in literature from the New School. Her writing has been translated into French and Arabic, and she's been profiled in the Huffington Post and other international publications. Even in this past year, Catherine was able to travel closer to home, and I've been swooning over her winter in Jackson, Wyoming, hanging out with cowboys in Big Sky, Montana, and what looked like an amazing girls trip in Sedona. Suffice to say, we can travel now, and there's no one better than Catherine to inspire anyone that's still a bit hesitant that it's time to plan that trip. So Catherine is joining me today to share her story and recent history, and then we're going to get into this present moment, travel finally opening up again, airline prices, you know, starting to rise, unfortunately, mystery flights, and so much more. Catherine, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So tell me about yourself and anything goes. I spent two years from April 2018 to March 2020, and I lived out of a carry-on, you know, a series wow. of carry-ons that became increasingly battered. It's almost like I knew a plague was coming because, you know, my travel career took off and it was hard to say no. So I just didn't. And I really leaned in. I went from visiting, I think I went to like 50 countries in that span of time. And I, it wow. I go to like three or five countries a month to going nowhere for a whole year. So mm -hmm. I'm pitching a story about that actually. And <laughs> it's been really illuminating in terms of obviously the lifestyle shift. And as a writer, there's always periods of silence and downtime. But I think that it's taught me the importance of travel in a way beyond just obviously it's a GDP for a lot of places, but the hospitality industry, I think that the whole point of leaving your own little nook is to get, gain some more empathy, some compassion, 
And I'd argue that seeing the breakdown in discourse, which was long overdue happening in 2020, is probably also a result of that. It's so cool to hear how you've made a career out of travel writing. And so did travel for you start at an early age? I can't remember a moment when I didn't love to travel. And when I say like love to travel, I enjoy being in transit. When you're in transit, all you have to do is exist. You know what I mean? You're already doing something by being on the journey. And I'm just so curious about other people. Like I'm fascinated with other people. The less we have in common, the more I want to know. And the more I've traveled, the more I'm convinced that people are so, so much more similar than they are different. Mm-hmm. And that was the realization that, you know, predates my career as a travel writer. I'd say I got my water legs at like 14 months old. My parents are big travelers and they took me to the Arctic Circle. And then from there, we would do like cross-country road trips. You can write about anything in relation to travel. Like I've written about politics. I've written about conservation. I've written about history. I've written about dating. You know, I've written, I've written about like religion. It's so broad. I wrote about refugees. I wrote about text message breakups. You know, I wrote about, <laughs> I did a lot of author interviews. And so I pretty much wrote about travel anywhere that I could. It's such an exciting space because ultimately travels other people. I get to meet people from all over the world and you get to hear their stories, but also you get to make friends. I wouldn't say I have a greater history. I don't, I wouldn't say I have a greater knowledge of the history of the world itself, but I think I do about the history of people. I didn't know who the Garifuna people were in Belize. And these Mm -hmm. are people who went from West Africa to the Caribbean before the slave trade. And then ends up in Central America, or I didn't know the Kalinago people in Dominica who were able to survive the conquistadors. And I I went to the Heritage Center, the opening. And I mean, I learned so much more about pre-Hispanic Central America, South America, Mexico by going than I ever really learned in school. And I think it teaches you that you're small and the world is big. And I think that's important to remember. I love, I love how you just described that. Travel really is transformative. And it's about the people that we interact with. It's transformative, not just for us, but for also the people on the other side, right? And that is pretty profound. We're learning about each other. And I love what you're saying about learning about Native people. In Belize, it was the same idea. It was like, I had no idea about this culture. I really didn't know much about Mayan culture either until I got to visit Belize. I would love to know, do you feel like your role has changed or your contribution to the travel industry has changed in this last year? So on one hand, I'm grounded. I miss being able to go somewhere, take like fill up a notebook, have a fresh experience, a new experience, get home and explode all over, you know, the page is all my ideas. <laughs> but it's almost been, but I would argue the type of writing that I'm doing hasn't changed as much. It's impossible to be an objective reporter. Because you yourself are having a subjective experience. Mm -hmm. I like to put myself in the story in the sense that like I'm situating the reader where I am, but then turn the spotlights, the people that you meet. I can't make a grand claim about like in the, this is a great example in the Amazon rainforest and all of our guides were indigenous to the Amazon and Edavon would be able to like, we would get off of our boat and then we would go in a little motorized canoe and he would just go to shore at different villages or like someone's house and be like, hi, like speaking in Portuguese, will you host us for a minute? Literally, like, we, can wow. we come over? <laughs> People are so kind and like proud of where they're from. And I think that that can get lost sometimes when people are like, 
almost so politically correct that they don't engage with another culture. And they're like, oh, well, that's being exploitative. And it's like, it's very delicate and dangerous to claim that it's exploitative for someone to share their culture. It's eye-opening, it's leveling. And I remember we got back onto the boat and I was talking to Edivan, like, that's crazy. We were in New York City and I actually, I think New Yorkers are quite nice. So I'll put another example. If we were in a suburb and knocked on someone's door, I'm like, hey, all these people here, they're from Brazil. They don't really know like suburbs. Can you let us in? And he was like, no, like people here, you know, it's so funny. They don't have much, but they're happy. In the past year, it's been a delicate balance because you obviously can't travel internationally, which is changing the appetite for travel. Right. And it's not recommended that you like hang out with people. You know what I right. mean? So <laughs> it's been more focused on road trips national parks. Mm-hmm. I was based out of Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which was a gift because it's very distant out there. Spotlighting that area. I did a story on Lone Mountain Ranch, which is in Big Sky and the story coming out on how I was able to restore my sanity. It was more of a shift towards focusing on the fact that America itself, you don't really need a passport to experience different cultures. set the stage. And I want to talk about some hot takes on travel today. So mm-hmm. it feels like we're finally turning this corner. And I want you to tell me what you think about recent changes in our industry. So hot takes on travel. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right. First up, Europe opening up even while vaccinations are stalling in a lot of places. So is it going to be hot girl summer? Is there going to be a yacht week in Greece? Is it Americans gone wild? What do you think about this? We know that Greece is opening May 15th. Israel's opening up May 23rd. Are you excited about this? What are you going to do? And do you think there will be repercussions? Number one, I'm excited. I think that part of the reason that travel shaming really took off, I think, in the past year was also because people are so sick of the calculated influencer brands during the pandemic. The fact that at the end of the day, influencers or brands was really brought to the forefront. And notably, you should, you should stay home. But, and I know you talked about this earlier, but the hospitality industry, that's an economic driver that is like imperative, particularly the like places in the world that do not have the same infrastructure that we do. And we've seen America, we've seen Europe struggle and we are, we are rich. You know what I mean? But you go to Turks and Caicos and famously, they're like, you know, our one export is happiness. Mm. And at the end of the day, like these are people's livelihoods. I think it's a civic responsibility if you're vaccinated to travel. From my perspective, I think that it's completely okay because it goes back to the science element of this. And this is where I think things do get hazy because obviously we've never dealt with the coronavirus before. So these new variations are tough and we only have the research available. I've heard so much from friends in Kenya and friends in Nepal where, you know, the tourism industry is really huge and it's really tough because people have been laid off. And from my perspective, if you are an American citizen and you're vaccinated, you're immune from this. It's, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing to be getting back for sure. Mm -hmm. So as hotel people, we feel the same way. I'm marketing hotels right now, right? If I myself Mm -hmm. am scared to go stay in hotels, how am I supposed to convince other people, right? So our industry, hospitality, travel, it's on us to go out and travel and have these experiences so that we do inspire others through real authentic experiences 
reconnecting with people, reconnecting with cultures, all that stuff that we've been missing. You talk about what happened in the Amazon. It's like, we learn about hospitality actually from these international experiences because the people in the Amazon open their doors to total strangers. And in Nepal, these guides become like family members. I mean, there's yes. all of these experiences are really what we're missing. And I think that's also part of why as a country, we're, we're stuck at home. We're, we're with all these other people, but sort of isolated. And that's something that hospitality element that we really do have other cultures to thank for, it has been missing. Even when we're not isolating, we are isolated. The majority of Americans don't even have passports. I think that travel reopening is going to be huge in terms of, I think some people who've been stuck are ready to take a leap for a second. You know, I've got true. And I'm like, great, like, let's take that leap. Let me write all the stories. Let's get you to Russia. You know what I mean? Like, let's get you to Southeast Asia. Let's get you to South America. I want to capitalize on those bucket list trip moments, like Antarctica sold out for the next two years. Yeah, amazing. And I think so we've got this amazing cultural moment when people are willing to take a leap. So I think that talking about trends, some people are going to be very much worried about safety and health and cleanliness, which I don't think they were ever reading my stories to begin with. So I'm not super (laughs) catering to them. Yeah. But the people, but the people who are catering to, I want to go get lost in the world. I want to get the hell out of this space I've been living in. That's a unique opportunity. And I hope that the travel industry capitalizes on it. And speaking of capitalizing on it and getting vaccinated, let's talk a bit about vaccine passports. So Mm -hmm. I know this to be true because I'm work with hotels in Hawaii. I'm planning a trip to Hawaii in June. As of May 15th, Hawaii is going to start to accept vaccine passports from mainland travelers. So forget the 72-hour COVID test, forget the quarantine in Hawaii because, you know, it's an island. They were one of the toughest ones. They really locked things up and and didn't want to risk getting their native population sick or, or worse. So now Hawaii is opening up. What do you think about vaccine passports? Are they the wave of the future? Yes. And I would argue not only are they the wave of the future, they're the wave of the entire past and the present. Like I've traveled mm. with a vaccine passport. I've seen the thing pieces where it's like, I cannot with like invasion of privacy. No, this is a public health service. When I went to Brazil and I went to Amazon rainforest, I had a little vaccine card, which was supposed to be checked at Amazon. But I don't, I don't even believe it was, but yeah, I got my yellow fever shot. I got right. this. It was, it's not a big deal. Like people who are complaining about vaccine passports right now, number one, there's probably going to be an app. It's probably going to be like mobile passport, vaccine passport. Mm-hmm. Number two, yep. try going to get your a visa to go to China. Do you know what I mean? Try to get a visa or try living in another country, trying to get a visa to visit here. It's such a non-issue in my opinion. Yeah. And it saves so much time. Hawaii, I think has been an amazing case study here. I love Hawaii. It was my first ever trip for work. Mm-hmm. And I think they've done a remarkable job. There's such a mix between, I know you work in hospitality, between promoting tourism and also preserving the culture and the people that live in such place. And I think Hawaii does an amazing job of balancing that. For people who are worried about vaccine passports, number one, if you're traveling domestically, you're not even going to need your regular passport. Number two, here's a secret about passports and documentation. Like things do get lost. Take a picture of it. I already have in my inbox on my phone my vaccination 
So experienced seasoned travelers have already, you know, basically done these drills in other places yeah. depending on where they've traveled. And it's really not that big of a deal. I guess the, the sticking point for people is getting vaccinated in the first place. So let's talk now about this trend of eco-travel and sustainability. I feel like it is more than a trend, but this past year definitely shined a light on doing less harm, right? So mm -hmm. we saw the Venice Canal become perfectly clear for the first time in however long. And we could hear birds chirping. Kids that were home from school were like, wow, I'd never heard the birds before. Things like that. So people became more aware of like the natural world around them. There's the stat that I read recently. I think it was in Forbes. It said that 70% of travelers would choose a sustainable hotel, even if they weren't planning an eco-friendly vacation. So this thing that used to be sort of buried on the bottom of our amenities pages of our hotels, it's suddenly a differentiator. So what are your thoughts about sustainable travel? One thing I've been seeing that sort of is difficult is that I think sustainable travel has taken on a huge premium, but I would argue that it's also been driven by trends for the last four or five years. So when you look at who spends the most money and who is traveling the most, and this is surprising, but actually unsurprising, I think both of us will relate. It's women in their twenties mm -hmm. who have disposable income. They're going with their friends. And the, my, our generation, I think of millennials, we get so much hate, <clears throat> but trends that we really ushered to the forefront, aside from Instagram, which people punish us for all the time is sustainable travel and also urban travel, which is cultural immersion, which we'll talk about next. But if you go to any luxury resort, it's almost like a given that it's going to be eco-friendly. Sustainability is now a marker hand in hand with luxury. I think that, and I think it's going to take a second for the general public to catch up with the fact that sometimes when people think eco-resort, they're thinking of sort of an outward bound on land ex excursion. Do you know, well, maybe my shower won't work, but it's funny, I was just doing a story on the four most luxe hotels in St. Lucia. They have so many similarities. You know, they're all eco lodges. They're all wow. five stars. I know. And I was going to put it in the headline. Then I go, no, because if I say that these are the most luxe eco lodges, people are going to think, it's okay, different. I don't want to do that. Yes. Yeah. So many hotels have been making these changes incrementally and to the point where it's now at the forefront. Let's hop into our fourth hot take on travel, which is inclusivity and tying tourism back to culture, which I know is, is really big for you. So we talked about this before. It's like the pandemic was a backdrop for all kinds of change in our country. One of the biggest was a lot of us opening our eyes to the systemic racism that has existed for 400 years. We know that travel is a powerful way to dive into culture and language and history and people and tradition. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts about tourism and culture and how those two things can sort of intersect and the role that our industry plays in moving the needle forward on this topic. I couldn't be more thrilled that this is part of the discussion. I think that there can be this fear of like, okay, how can you be respectful and be a traveler? And some of the advice that I've read that hopefully is going to subside after this is pretty much don't engage. People who think that they're like so attuned, and this is really a delicate thing to say, and I'm probably not going to communicate this well. But if you're so attuned to like a perceived exploitation and race, if you're so on the lookout for that when you're in another country and people are hosting you and you're like, oh, I'm not going to engage with this because this is demeaning. I feel like you've internalized racism so aggressively that you can't even 
Nairobi now allows direct flights from the U.S., which is huge for tourism and for trade. And, you know, it used to be you flew through Amsterdam. And this was a huge undertaking on behalf of the Kenyan hospitality tourism team and the government. It took years in the making, you know, that at one point they tried to open, but they didn't fully have the infrastructure yet. And then they did on a day in November. I remember taking the flight over, landing, met the deputy president. It was insane. Right. And then what we went on was pretty much a week long trip through Nairobi and Yuki and the Masai Mara. So all of our hosts were Kenyan and they were all showcasing beautiful parts of their culture and they were entertaining us and also getting paid. So basically we land in the Masai Mara and the, if you haven't been to the Masai Mara, if you haven't been to Kenya, Kenya is the best place I've ever visited in my entire life. Oh my God, the people I met in Kenya, even people I just met one night, it's like, we still WhatsApp. Wow. It's, you feel further away because the sky looks different, anything. And I think for Americans, the idea of the East Africa, the plains is really seared into the, our like national consciousness of mm-hmm. somewhere beautiful. And I've got to say, it doesn't disappoint. We had Maasai warriors who are hosting us in the village who also were employees of Kenya tourism, who are hiring us, who are, who are bringing us, right? greeted us and they performed a dance and a chant. And this person who was next to me was like, oh my God, like this is just so exploitative. She didn't engage with them. If that is your takeaway, I don't see the world that way. And I think that what's interesting now is that you do have those people. They think it's exploitative to even engage. When I was in Alaska, I was with Joe Charles Williams Jr., who is the head of the Killer Whale Eagle Tribe in Ketchikan. We're staying in native-owned places, and how can I make sure the art I'm buying is actually native-owned? He was like, no. He's like, that's important, because I was talking about people care about putting their money where their mouth is. That's important, but the most important thing is the stories. He's like, if we don't tell these stories, they're going to be lost. You've got travelers who are looking to experience other cultures and step out of their comfort zone, and you've got people who, who are desperate to preserve those cultures. It's like, no, this is our history. Write about it. Tell the world. Yes. Tell the world our story. I think that's a really good place to end. So Catherine, if people want to learn more about you and read some of your travel writing, where should they go? If you follow me at Catherine Parker Magyar on Instagram, my last name is the Magyar's M-A-G-Y-A-R. I link to all my stories and I share all my travel pictures. It makes me feel like a pseudo influence for mentioning my Instagram first, but I feel like that's <laughs> sort of how people keep in touch these days. Yeah. But my website is also just katherineparkermagyar.com. Thank you so much for your time and insights and your stories were just incredible. I will link everything in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciated Catherine's firsthand experiences making friends and exploring cultures. It was really interesting to hear her examples. So my key takeaways were, one, when it comes to travel in the short term, I agree, it's time to get out there. As Catherine said, it's our civic duty, particularly once we're vaccinated, to get out responsibly and travel again. Two, As far as ecotourism goes, Catherine spoke to that nuance of ecotourism going hand in hand with a new level of luxury travel and the mounting expectations led by millennials to expect more from hotels and destinations when it comes to sustainability. Three, 
When it comes to the intersection of travel and inclusivity, we know that travel is an incredible bridge to seeing the world through another person's eyes. Catherine points out that one of the greatest things we can do is simply be active listeners, learn the history, hear the stories, and do our part to pass them on. Whether learning about native culture in Ketchikan, Alaska, or Garfuna culture in Belize, the simple act of storytelling is one of the most powerful ways to keep culture and history alive. For the show notes and details from this episode, go to howtosharepodcast.com slash 43. As always, keep sharing your stories. Thanks for listening to the How to Share podcast. If you loved this episode, make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening. How to share.